It's the Bible Rundown. Day 146, 1 Chronicles 28 through 29. Rob, we're finishing Booyah. First Chronicles. <laughs> First Chronicles is almost done. But this and is John really Chapman. one book. Really one Hebrew. book. I was, gonna, I was about to say, like the Chronicler is looking at us like you've, you've made it halfway yeah. through Chronicles. Not yeah. why, so. why do you think they broke it up? Just because of uh, length of how long it is? They wanted it to be shorter? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. But then we'll have John 9. We love our gospel readings. But let's wrap this up. Man, there is a lot of good truth in 28 through 29. But David has his officers in place. We've talked about the past two days, the structure and the organization he brings. And then he charges Solomon. Rob, yes, David shed blood. But why is it significant (laughs) that his son Solomon build the temple? Yeah, I mean... Yes, David did shed blood. Yes, the Lord has called Solomon to build the temple. But I think the real reason that we see this all playing out is because it is the son of David who will establish the temple, who will build his temple, which will be the church, the the dwelling place of God in, in Christ builds that. And so in relationship to God's design, the picture that God wants to see here is that the son of David will be the one to build this temple. Ooh, and Jesus, the son of God. Love it. Yeah. Hey, 28 verse 9. You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. It sounds a lot like love Christ, live his mission. It does. But as we, as we move on, we get to chapter 29 and the offerings for the temple being brought in and then in verse 5 who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the lord rob what does it mean not just to offer ourselves willingly but to be consecrated ourselves for the lord yeah we don't really use that word no consecrated is not a word we use but setting ourselves apart, uh, setting ourselves up for his purposes. And so devotion to the Lord, a commitment, almost a commitment to the Lord. Uh, I'm shocked here at the amount of money that is given to build the temple and the amount of, of just sheer material that is given to build this temple. The people are freely giving of what they have to the Lord to for his glory. I think we see this throughout all the texts, right? We've talked about this in the tabernacle. We see it again. People freely giving of themselves to build the temple. Now, if we relate that to the church... It's people freely giving of themselves to build the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel Amen. in his church. Yeah. And interesting, did you see the footnote for consecrating himself? Ordaining himself. Mm. I mean, we can talk about being set apart, but can you imagine if our people viewed themselves that they wake up to make a daily decision that they are going to ordain what they do in their life that mm-hmm. day for the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool statement. And it makes sense that then the response in verse 9, the people have joy. Why? Because they had given willingly. 
We don't serve a God that places upon us burdens of service. He invites us to respond with our whole heart. And the prayer of David points us why. He's the source of all things. And so even when David's praying as the greatness of God, he's above all, exceeds everything in life, gives strength. And then in verse 14, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? How many people do you think, Rob, when they give an offering to the church as a gift to the Lord, ask that question? Hmm. Like, who are we that we should be able to offer to infinite God anything of value? Do you think that, I mean, that rarely crosses my mind, but how would that transform our attitude of giving and maybe increase gratitude in giving if we really see God inviting us to give back to him when he has no need for anything? Yeah, what he says is, for all things come from you and and of your own we have given you. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is the understanding there, right? Like, he understands that whatever we have been given is actually from God. And so what do we have a right to give back to him? It's not necessarily giving back to him. It's 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 almost just giving him what he's already due. You see what I'm saying? And so it's just a, it's an increased gratitude and thanksgiving to the point to where you feel almost unworthy, a humility, if you will, a submission. You're unworthy to even give to the Lord because of what he's given to you. It's, it's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm challenged right now. Well, it's, talking right. About. I wrote it down in my notes. It is, I think that's the thing that I came out with. It is a humility because God doesn't need you and me. No, And he doesn't need us to return to him what he himself gave. If he needed it, he wouldn't have given it in the first place. Right. And he doesn't ask for it back. It's really a sign of contentment. Right. That in humility, we want God to continue to be magnified, showing that we are relying upon him for all things, but we also can be fully satisfied with even the smallest of gifts he gives to us, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a challenging thing. So ordain your life today to give back to the Lord what he's given you freely. Hey, John chapter 9, speaking of giving back to the Lord, the blind man has no issues giving credit to Jesus. Right. But man, these Pharisees and religious rulers really don't like what's going on. It's really hilarious. I think John has some humor. I think I think he really does. I mean, when you read his stories, it's like, oh man, John, John, you got some humor here. But this, this is a hilarious story. Like, when you actually read this, it's so funny well let's walk through it like just real quickly what's the significance of we know in colossians we're told that all things were created through christ and for christ and then in him he holds all things together how is that idea significant with him being lord of the sabbath to heal a man that is incomplete physically on the sabbath we've talked about the sabbath rest points to God resting and the works were complete and they were all good. So what's the connection that we need to make here with Jesus as the creator God and seeing his creation out of alignment that needs fixing? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, he says, I am the light of the world here. And it's a creative, it's a creative uh, 
healing. It's a creative healing here in that he takes someone who is blind and makes them be able to see. And so not only can they now see the light of God, who is Christ Jesus, which this man does at the end because God reveals it to him. Jesus reveals it to him. So there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of things going on here. Like, and then he's also showing the blindness of the Pharisees at the same time. So mm-hmm. he's kind of he in the reference to I am the light of the world in the midst of the healing of the blind man. He's he's also showing that I'm the light of the world, yet you do not see. Even though this man who is who cannot see, who lives in darkness, is able to see the light. Mm. I mean, it's, it's 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 a parallel on on these terms. But what's so funny about this is this this guy who 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 is healed by Jesus, he, the mud and the saliva. He goes and to the pool and 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 he washes, and he comes back seeing, and like the the Pharisees are like. Well, who was it? And he was like, well, it was Jesus. He was like, well, tell us again how how this happened. He's like, you want me to tell you again? Do you want to believe in him? I mean, it's just hilarious. They just can't can't get over it. But I do think there's some significance, David, between Jesus just healing the man and also there's some activity for him to be healed. Jesus makes mud and puts the saliva on his eyes and then he asked him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So, in relationship to our salvation, do you think there's anything we can draw from there? Or is this just part of the story? Is there a significance in the fact that he asked him to wash in the pool of Siloam? I feel like you've got a hidden, yeah, I, I hidden do, I agenda do. here. Well, well, I just, I, I feel like... Well, before you say your thing, yeah. I'll just, uh, just thinking through it. Yeah, I think there is. You know, if the statement of the question early on, and I wanted to unpack this later, that his disciples centered on who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind, if baptism is a picture of being washed and regenerated, made clean, then it could be answering both. We see that when some of Jesus' mm-hmm. miracles, right? Is that, like with the lame man, he says, right. well, so you know that the Son of Man has power not only to heal, but forgive also to sins. forgive sins. Pick up your mat and walk, right? So I it, maybe there's kind of that element that John is is recording so that we, we capture the idea that this man is totally washed clean and made new right. by the word of Christ. But yeah, what do man. you think? Well, it seems to be that there is this understanding that in Jesus's um, in Jesus's healings, there's there's some type of responsibility of that person to respond to in faith to Christ and what He's done. Yeah, and so there's a responsibility for this man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus doesn't just touch him and go, "You're healed." He has the responsibility of trusting that Christ has healed him and he goes and washes. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, just because when we look at all these healings, I think that there is this responsibility for us to respond to God's healing in our life with acts of 
or an act of faith or acts of faith in which God has given to us to perform a response to almost to the gospel, a response to the healing in which our faith is exercised. No, I I'm publicly. Yeah. And, and, and baptism is a great way to do that as well. Yeah. No, I think that's good. So then there's this whole back and forth with, I think is where you're getting the humorous exchange, not just with the blind man and his parents and the Pharisees, but at the end, the Pharisees overhear Jesus talking to the man who was blind and they ask the question, are we also blind? Oh, Jesus yeah. has this great statement, like, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So, as I was thinking through it and kind of just writing down in my notes, this man, we were told early on, was made blind by God so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Amen. Right? Verse 3. Amen. But then at the end, is Jesus saying that the Pharisees have blinded themselves spiritually by their hard-heartedness? Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting, right? The, the Pharisees that also need healing have made themselves blind. This blind man had no choice in his blindness, but has been made free by it through faith. Mm-hmm. And so what does this tell us about, well, a lot of things, spiritual blindness, but also what does it tell us about suffering? And when we feel like we've been dealt a, a bad card in life, is there an opportunity to give God glory I through mean, pain and suffering? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that answer is the answer to the question of why he allowed it in the Garden of Eden. Why, why he allowed pain and suffering to enter into the world is because obviously he can receive glory from it. And so when we... When we understand that his glory can be shown through our pain and suffering, we're able to embrace the trials that we face and have joy because it's producing something great in us, which is steadfastness of faith in our God. But, but the, the, other, the other aspect of it is, is that you have this, this closing of the eyes or blinding of the eyes from those who are prideful and arrogant and think that they know about the Bible, know about Moses, know about all these things, and yet he's opening the humble who need him. He's, he came as a physician to heal the sick, and those that do not see themselves as sick are actually blinded. And so what the relationship is for us today is those who think that they are good, that they do not need a Savior, that they do not need their sins forgiven, that they don't need God, that they themselves are, are good enough. What will end up happening is their heart will become hardened, as we've seen throughout the scriptures. Good word. Man, what a good God we serve. Amen. He's the source of all things. So we don't have to want, and even more going through suffering we know that he'll restore. He's a healer. We'll see you tomorrow on the Bible Rundown.